another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow The Lines MLB Baseball Betting Savant. I guess that's pretty much the same thing. But regardless, you can follow Mo on Twitter at MoNoir2Ws. He is having a fine baseball season. Much better in the playoffs than I am after losing both of my bets yesterday on the Braves and the Twins. Don't follow me for baseball, but hopefully you follow my NFL bets and beat the closing number as we're having a great NFL season. 13-7 and with spreads and totals in 2023. Last week, we went 2-2. Two and two. Jags against the spread. Moe's first bet cashed. I also had Texans-Falcons under. Both of our late afternoon games did not hit. Mo had the Rams. I had the Broncos. Surprise, surprise. I'm going back to the well with Denver this week. Trust me. I've gotten tweets about it. It is not fun to bet the Broncos. I am not doing this because anything towards Denver fandom. I have no Broncos fandom. I have no reason other than betting the number to bet the Denver Broncos. But on that note, Mo, how's it going today ahead of your poker tournament this weekend? Yeah, it could be going better. Um, having to watch the Braves just basically embarrass themselves yesterday, not fun. But uh, other than that, yeah, good good drive up here. And like you said, I've been been crushing it on the MLB playoffs so far. So uh, it's a nice nice to bounce back a little bit after I did not close the regular season well. Well, that's variance in a nutshell. And you and I can complain about it one way or the other, but... Whether it's baseball, NFL, whatever sport you bet on, if you're betting this consistently, you're going to have variants go for and against you, unfortunately or fortunately. (laughs) But if you want to follow all of Mo's baseball bets, you could do so in the Lines Discord channel. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. We are not touts. You can get all of Mo's bets for free. All of our NFL bets for free. Whatever sport you want to follow. And you could also get notifications when... Any of us, any of the line staff members post bets on any sport, just head over to the rules channel in the lines discord channel. Remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications as well. When the lines releases any new sports betting videos, just like this one. And you could also subscribe, rate and review to the lines podcast. One word in Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. But before we chat with Cleve T.A. Mo, going to touch on few games between the two of us, Bengals and Seahawks. First up, Cincinnati laying three minus 105 or laying two and a half minus 115, depending on the shop. You could price shop every single spread, total money line, whatever it may be over at thelines.com. Total in this game is actually dipped probably because of the weather, but either way, sitting at 45. Line reopened, three minus 110 both ways. So we're seeing movement towards the Seahawks. Jamal Adams back at practice on Wednesday in limited fashion. Out of concussion protocol. Left tackle Charles Cross. Right guard Phil Haynes were also limited. But left guard Damian Lewis didn't practice. Neither did DK Metcalf. But dealing with that rib issue that has been nagging him since week two. No surprise. He'll be good to go. Or at least he'll play. Mo, how are you betting Bengals and Seahawks? Yeah, I I like the Seahawks. Um, I think they have the horses to match up. Like I talked about with you when we discussed this game on Monday, I think they've got the horses in the secondary to match up with what I see as a pretty one-dimensional Bengals offense, really revolving right now around only throws to Jamar Chase. Uh, T. Higgins did log a limited practice. I'm a little skeptical he's going to go, but... Even if he does, I I think we can probably be pretty sure he's not going to be 100%. And like I said, there was still some concerning moments from the Bengals in that game. Joe Burrow, he's getting better for sure. Did not still look close to 100%, I thought. Um, Against a Seattle team that's sneakily fifth in pressure rate. And in a spot where they're coming off the bye while the Bengals were just fighting for their basically season last week and they really didn't separate that much from Arizona to be honest which dude Arizona has one of the worst defenses in the NFL and 
they weren't really able to do anything besides throw to Jamar Chase, which I don't think that's going to work against tougher defenses. And I know that Seattle can be up and down at times on defense, but at the end of the day, they're ranking right in the middle of the pack, uh, 14th in DVOA, 14th in EPA per play. Like, this is a decent defense. And like you said, the bad weather, I mean, such a pass-heavy Cincinnati group. They're 23rd in rushing EPA. I think I my eyes are telling me this team can't really run the ball as well. Joe Mixon hasn't been able to get anything done so far. Seattle's second in rushing offense. I mean, if the weather's bad, I think that favors them even more. And just like zooming out macro, like I don't even know if Seattle, I don't even know if the Bengals are better than Seattle. I have them back-to-back in my power rankings. I think it's very close. So getting three here I think is good. I don't think Seattle should be getting three. Like we mentioned, I think it's Bengals minus two and a half, minus 115 at some shops still. But there are some juice threes, including over at BetMGM, at least as of this recording. And if you're planning on betting Seahawks and Bengals or any other NFL Week 6 action, first-time users with BetMGM Sportsbook can use bonus code the lines to get up to a $1,500 bonus bet back. If your first bet loses, that's promo code the lines one word. Remember that terms and conditions apply and bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. So to your point, Burrow, we don't know the status of that calf necessarily, but he did say after, remember, he did re-injure that calf in week two against the Ravens. So it's not only that he didn't practice for five weeks, I think, going back to training camp and into August, but he's also been dealing with this after re-injuring it in the regular season. Said after the Cardinals game, I'm confident that I could run around and extend, make plays right now, and it's tough to say percentage-wise, but we're close. Who knows if that's player speak or not, but considering that he was pretty open about the injury going back to the early portion of the season, I would say that's a positive. I do think this may be, and weather-dependent to both of our points as well, Maybe a buy low spot on the Bengals passing offense. Cincinnati, number 26, and just offense overall, number 26, EPA per play this season, tied for 24th with the Giants of all teams, who Seattle beat up on in week four before the bye week in red zone efficiency. And this Seahawks pass defense really hasn't been tested yet outside of that Lions game in week two. And they did win that one, but remember they were Bigger underdogs, I think, opened around five and a half, six. It was bet down to four. But now you're talking about a, a field goal spread and even lower than that, depending on which books you're using. Remember, at BetMGM, there's a three minus 15 if you're looking about Seattle like Mo is. But yes, both teams for me are about even in my power ratings as well, Mo. But potential buy low still for Cincinnati, just depending on how you're gauging the Burrow injury, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if this is just old Cincinnati, then yeah, this line's probably fair, but I'm still pretty skeptical that that's what we're going to see, to be honest. And like I said, the game against Arizona didn't really do that much for me. I mean, they have one of the worst secondaries, maybe the worst secondary, to be honest. So I am pretty skeptical they're going to be able to repeat that here since basically every other team they've played has shut down this offense. Saints at Texans, next game on the board that we're going to discuss. These are most two bets. So he has the Seahawks at three minus 115. New Orleans is a one and a half point favorite for the most part. There are some, or I think at least one, minus one on the board. So a little bit of Houston action coming in throughout the week. Texans, if you're looking about them on the money line, plus 105. Pretty much is the consensus money line price tag. And a total of 40 and a half. New Orleans allowed or actually posted the fourth lowest success rate offensively in week five, but they scored and benefited from three Patriots turnovers and scored 13 points off of those turnovers on short fields. How are you betting the three and two New Orleans Saints against the two and three Houston Texans? I'm pretty excited to sell the Saints off what I kind of see as a fake blowout win against the Patriots. I mean, not fake in the sense of like their defense did its job for sure and obviously destroyed that Patriots offense, but I'm still really skeptical of this Saints offense, man. I mean, look at their past three games. So they 
did not score a point in the fourth quarter, allowed an 18-0 fourth quarter to a Green Bay offense that has kind of sucked since then. Like, Green Bay looks pretty rough. Then they got crushed scoring nine points against the Bucks at home. And then they had a game against the Patriots where, like you said, they were just basically gifted the game by Patriots' mistakes on offense. They scored um, seven of what uh, one of my favorite guys on gambling Twitter, Jeff Fogel, calls drive points. Uh, just like points off basically drives of 60 yards or longer. They, they had seven points. I mean, they, they didn't do anything on offense in that game. So I think this is a better coach, a better quarterback Getting points at home, I don't understand it. I think, especially the way C.J. Stroud is playing, very just shocking for a rookie, to be honest. Uh, just not making mistakes, you know? And and the Saints have basically thrived on on mistakes. They, they're ninth in EPA off turnovers, so just basically feeding off opponent uh, errors. And C.J. Stroud is not making those errors. He's not taking bad sacks he's not turning the ball over at all obviously I think that's gotten a lot of play he's I think he's on some kind of rookie record for consecutive passes without a pick or something um but I still thought the Texans played a pretty solid game against Atlanta I knew that was always going to be kind of a tough spot for them uh not the best matchup there and just fizzled in the red zone a lot but they they definitely still move the ball a decent amount so I think if they can do the same thing against the Saints here which I think has a pretty comparable defense to Atlanta um then I have a hard time seeing the Saints offense keeping up because I, I don't know if it's like the Derek Carr injury whatever else it might be bad scheme bad coaching but they're not playing to their talent level, and I don't know why we should expect that to start right now. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you. The concern for me would be that, kind of to your point, and I guess you rightfully so used it as a positive, but this New Orleans secondary, I know they're not generating pressure, one of the lower pressure rates across the NFL, I think bottom 10 at the least, but this secondary is very stout, especially with Marshawn Lattimore healthy. So you wonder if, Stroud does face any sort of negative variance. I know he isn't really making poor throws. I don't think his turnover-worthy play rate is super high either, depending on whether you consider that a notable metric or not. But a little bit concerning, considering he hasn't faced much negative variance in regards to interceptions. You wonder if that does happen against a, a pretty good Saints defense overall, allowing, what, a bottom six EPA per dropback and success rate. So below average and then some. Any other thoughts on this game, Mo, before we get to Eagles at Jets? I just want to say, do you remember in the preseason when Kenny Pickett was going to be a top 10 quarterback and C.J. Stroud was the worst quarterback anybody had ever seen step onto the field? <laughs> and we and we hammer that home throughout the preseason. Don't use preseason metrics, please, to dictate any of your Game-by-game bets in week one or futures bets. And Steelers did cast for you last week. And I know Pickett was getting credit for, what, adjusting the play and telling Pickens to run a go-route against Humphrey in week five, which helped Pittsburgh cash and went outright, not only covering the plus four and a half, but I don't know. Not a big Kenny Pickett guy. I'm with you there. So on to the third game that we're going to hit on before we... Chat with Cleve T.A., professional sports batter and NFL handicapper. Eagles laying seven, mostly minus 110s. I think there is a even money in Philly's direction over at Caesar Sportsbook at the Jets. Total of 41. By the way, not that, and I know I see some tweets out there, or if you want to call them tweets anymore. Thank you, Elon Musk. You mentioned trends, and then you say that you're, and I'm speaking of the Royal U, not UMO, you got a lot of ex-users out there saying, well, can't bring up trends if you're not a trends guy. But I think they do provide context, not dictating a bet, but I think they are informational for sure. And there have been 23 games where the total has closed 42 or lower this season, and the underdog has cashed in 16 of those 23 games against the spread, the rate is even higher when the dog is 
three or greater, getting three points or more. So that definitely lends itself towards the Jets, but that's not the reason why I'm betting the Jets, but you and I touch on it all the time. When you have a lower total, it definitely correlates to the underdog. If you do think the total is low and it's rightfully so at that price point. So I bet the Jets at seven, regardless of that, I bet them plus seven, minus 110. And if you go back to before the Rams game, Mo, on Sunday, and I know you bet the Rams, but when the Eagles have struggled to establish their ground game, which wasn't an issue against the Rams, Jalen Hurts has struggled as a result. And he ranked before that game 17th in adjusted EPA per dropback and 22nd among qualified quarterbacks in passing success rate. And mind you, the Jets have underperformed in their secondary this season, but they are getting healthier with DJ Reed expected to come back off of the concussion protocol. He missed the Broncos game last week. And you're talking about a top 10 Jets run defense. Quentin Williams, Jermaine Johnson, two of the best defensive linemen in terms of stopping the run from an individual grade. And I think they'll be able to hold this Eagles rushing offense that relies on their run game going back to last season too. So it's not like it's a small sample size if anyone's doubting that. Top four and rushing play percentage over the last two seasons. Very tough, very, very tough to trust this Jets passing offense and Zach Wilson specifically dead last in adjusted EPA per drop back this season. Elijah Vera Tucker, the Jets right tackle, is on injured reserve. Think dealing with an Achilles injury and the Eagles have one of the best defensive lines in football. So Zach Wilson may in fact be seeing ghosts once again, as I wrote up in my week six betting column, but if the Jets are able to stop this Eagles heavy and then some rushing attack, low scoring game, and I'll take the points here. And also just an Eagle secondary that if Nathaniel Hackett can script some quick passes for Wilson, this Eagle secondary has taken a big step back from last year. Top rated EPA per drop back allowed in 2022. Darius Slay has taken a major step back himself and the Eagles overall ranking 17th. So slightly below average in EPA per drop back allowed. Also considering potential look ahead spot for the Eagles with the Dolphins on deck and a very tough schedule after that. They go to Washington. Remember that commander's game in week four was not a cakewalk. We'll see what that spread is. I think it's still over a touchdown on the look ahead line, but then they play the Cowboys at the Chiefs, the Bills at home, the Niners at home, and then at Dallas. So a gut check game for the Eagles and a potential, again, look ahead game for an overrated team in terms of the betting market, the way they've looked at the Eagles this season and including this week for me. I, I took the points, Mo, especially with it being at a key number of seven. Any thoughts on this one? I feel like the Jets are probably the right side, um, but I'm terrified to pull the trigger uh, because, yeah, like you said, Zach Wilson versus this defense. I mean, it's just so scary with their pressure rate and no Elijah Vera Tucker. I, I mean, dude, their offensive line at this point has a rookie, a backup, and a guy switching positions and Mekhi Becton swapping over to left tackle. And then you have Zach Wilson with a 40 PFF grade, which, mind you, is an improvement to his under pressure grade from last year, which was 23. <laughs> I have to say, I didn't know that the PFF grades went that low. I thought 30 was like the baseline. Like if you got on the field, you automatically got a 30, but yeah, apparently you can go as low as 23. And I know that the Eagles secondary, I'm like pretty skeptical of this Eagles team. Honestly, I'm with you. I think you and I have been the lowest two people on the Eagles. I just don't know if Zach Wilson is the one who can do anything about it. Um, I am looking to fade them when the schedule gets tough, but I don't know if this is the spot, but I will say I'm with you in there's a definitely a potential parlay here with the under. I think it's very, very correlated. I just don't see how a higher scoring game could ever favor the Jets. So those are three bets here for the week six slate along with that Thursday Night Football bet that I mentioned earlier on that you can find in the Discord channel for those of you that are checking this out before Friday, as I think our YouTube edition of the show gets posted on Friday. But if you're listening 
on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find a favorite podcast. That is in the Lions free Discord channel. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. But without further ado, it's time to bring in our guest this week, and he is pro better, Cleve TA, at Cleve TA on Twitter. You can find all of his NFL betting breakdowns, one of the sharpest NFL minds in the space, over at Cleve, that's C-L-E-V-Analytics.com. How's it going today, man? What's going on, Eli? How are you? Doing good. Great to be joined by you for the first time this season. And before we get into your bets, I think we have four or five games to touch on here. How have your picks been going so far in the Circa Millions contest? It's been going really, really well. I've got two entries. One is my solo entry, um, which I'm 15, 8, and 2. So I can't complain with uh, kind of a, a 63, 64% win percentage. And then I do a second entry that's um, with a couple of uh, partners of mine. We've been doing it for a handful of years where a majority of the picks are mine, but then you know the, the fourth and fifth are... Uh, essentially uh, kind of a group uh, consensus. So we're 17-7-1 and one in that one. So I'm not uh, not complaining too much. If, if we can keep this this going, uh, I think we'll be able to cash. And, uh, you know, we haven't even had a 5-0 and o week yet. So uh, hopefully that's on the horizon. <laughs> and for those of you that are wondering where, again, you can find all of Cleve's bets, they're over at cleveanalytics.com, along with the ones that we're going to discuss here on this podcast and for anyone also wondering where Mo is well his internet cut out and that's the beauty of doing podcasts when everyone is remote but I digress on to the first game that we're going to discuss it's Colts at Jags and this line is pretty much a consensus for across the board and I know you were high on Indy going into the year or at least as a sleeper team I think you bet them to win the division as one of your long shot bets, but I am kind of surprised at the market movement, Cleve, especially with Jacksonville coming off that win over Buffalo and this line, I think reopened around five and a half and got bet down pretty quickly to four, four and a half. And now we're sitting, like I mentioned, Indy getting four points above the key number. So whether you want to call five and a half, five, four and a half, all dead numbers, including where we're sitting right now, I still would have thought that the market may have at least sat on the five and a half a little bit longer considering the Jags upset win is five and a half point dogs themselves against Buffalo in week five in London. But maybe the market considering that Jacksonville was playing their second consecutive week in a remote setting themselves. So how are you looking at Gardner Minshew and the Colts? I know you're betting Indianapolis. Yeah. So I should take it back because um, last week I was actually pretty heavy. My heaviest bet of the week was on the Jags against Buffalo and really for me it was a combination of you know I just thought that the Buffalo was being over overpriced off that huge win against Miami which I had Buffalo too so it's kind of like this this uh, tale of uh, um, kind of you can connect all the dots here but you know I thought that they were a little bit overpriced I didn't think that there was any sort of consideration to the fact that you know Jacksonville for you know the first time in history <laughs> a team was um, playing back-to-back weeks in London so they already had their their bodies adjusted, all those sorts of things. You had Buffalo coming in uh, off that big win. And there was just no market consideration, at least I didn't think so, for the potential, because we didn't know, this has never happened before, but the potential that, um, you know, the Jacks would have a big advantage from a, from a body clock standpoint and, you know, a familiarity standpoint. And we saw, I mean, Buffalo came out completely, you know, sleepwalking in that first half. And so I bet on the Jacks. I also had a money line bet just in case I was – you know, right, and that the the there would be some sort of you know um, you know stamina issues maybe and, and familiarity issues, and so I also had uh, uh, Jacksonville on the money line uh, just in case I was right on that long tail outcome of if if those things were correct and it's not being priced correctly in the market, then the outcome should be a Jags win. And so uh, now I look and I say, well, all right, we've got another unprecedented situation where Jacksonville is. Back-to-back weeks in London, no buy uh, after that trip and have to play a, an in-division game in, in Indy. And again, I hate to be all situational on you, but this is something we've never seen before. And so I think some of the initial money was because of that that uh, potential for Jacksonville being a little bit you know, sloppy here. And I think it makes sense. I mean, again, we've never seen this before. Typically when teams uh, don't take a buy after a London trip, after a one-game London trip, 
you know, there is a little bit of, uh, yeah, I think seven of the, uh, of the 11 times this, is, uh, this has occurred, their opponents have gone over the team total. So we do have, you know, teams that are, you know, kind of 500 against a spread, but do allow their opponents to score more than, than you know, the market um, indicates. Uh, but we've never seen back-to-back. And so I looked, Eric, is there a comp out there for something like this? We've seen teams like San Francisco, for example, when they travel west to east, they've, uh, they lobbied the, the NFL back in 2019 to play back-to-back games when they do go on, on uh, you know, and play in the East Coast, they want them together. And so they stay out East. And so I looked and said, all right, well, that's kind of a comp, right? It's not exactly perfect, but, you know, what happens in that game when they come back home? And I couldn't believe it. I was actually, it was pretty staggering. This spread uh, one and four straight up when they played that first game home after a back-to-back uh, East Coast trip. And we're talking about like some gigantic favorites that they've they've lost at. I mean, they were ten and a half point favorites, I think, against the Falcons a couple of years ago. They were eight and a half point favorites against the Eagles, uh, I think, in twenty twenty. Uh, and so they they lost those games outright. So like the, the this you know again small sample, and it's not you know apples to apples, but at least it's like something to to, to hang your head on. So there is a chance that we could see a similar effect to the Jags that we saw with Buffalo last week. Again, if I'm right, I also took some alternative money line uh, spreads with, with Indy as well uh, for that long tail outcome. But separate from all that, I just think Indy is, I, I have a higher rating on the, on the Colts in general. Again, as you mentioned, in the offseason, I had them winning the AFC South as a sleeper. And then I had the Jags a little bit lower than market. And I think it's played out like that. And they're just one of those teams that the Jags are a team I don't want to lay points with over a field goal ever. Uh, and the, the Colts are a team that I want to take as a as a, a, a dog over a field goal. Like it's just that's just kind of how they play out, how they profile. Gardner Minshew has done a nice job. He's essentially middle of the pack when it comes, when you look at EPA and success rate uh, in the NFL. Their defense has played well. They should you know get back some guys. Shaq Leonard missed last week. Could he pay missed last week? Those, those guys could come back. Their left tackle Bernard Raymond, who's been playing really well. Uh, has missed the last two games with a concussion. He should be back. And, you know, typically you miss that first. He got injured late in practice, uh, late in the week uh, before the Rams game, and then he missed last week. So he should be in line to come back this week. So they're going to get some reinforcements. I just think that there's not that much separating this team, these two teams, and then there's no real home field advantage here for Jacksonville. And then when you include that potential for this kind of outlier uh, rest uh, issue with the Jags coming back from London, uh, to me, I just think it makes sense for the Colts here. And, and that's probably why they took money initially. And looking at this defense too, you mentioned Quiddy pay, and I think he participated in full on Wednesdays or in Wednesday's practice. So this defense is fully healthy. Unlike going into the game against the Titans last week. And they were able to pull that one off at home as two and a half. And by the way, the Jags do have some injuries themselves, right? Like that Zay Jones may not play um, Walker little their their right tackle. He's probably out. They've had some tackle issues. Cam Robinson got hurt. He should play. But so they've got some injuries on their own. So it's kind of one of those things where the Colts are the ones getting healthy and the Jags are are hurting a little bit and they're 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 dealing with this travel issue. So um yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh I'm I'm banking on the Colts here. On to Seahawks and Bengals. And for those that checked out the early edition of this Beat the Clothes Number podcast, Mo is on Seattle and that line is pretty much, I think, split. There are Bengals minus threes, minus 105s out there. Also, Bengals minus two and a halfs, minus 15s. How are you gauging this one? Yeah, I'm on Seattle. Obviously, grab the three. There's plenty of books that have three. You know, I'm not a huge Seattle. I wasn't a huge Seattle guy coming in, but, uh, you know, they've impressed me. Look, they're the only team to beat Detroit. Um, they played, you know, blow for blow with, with the Lions on the road. Uh, you know, their one loss came... Uh, in the opener when both their tackles were out mid-game against, now we know, a a pretty game, you know, Rams team. So it's not as, that doesn't look as bad as it might have that first week. And, you know, they've essentially blown everybody out that they're supposed to uh, otherwise. And they're coming off a bye. They're getting healthier on defense. Jamal Adams will play following the concussion protocol. You know, their their secondary is getting better. I mean, I personally, the fact that Devin Witherspoon showed out so well in that Monday night game against the Giants, You've got now Tariq Woolen on one side and Witherspoon on the other. You may have a really good pair uh, of corners to throw out this Bengals team that really just has Jamar Chase right now. I don't think T. Higgins 
if he plays, he may or may not play. He's questionable uh, with those bad ribs. Even if he plays, by all accounts, from what I've read, is that he's going to be negatively impacted um, because of those ribs. And, you know, from all the kind of Twitter doctors that are out there, um, by all accounts, that's a tough injury to come back from right away, and your performance is affected. So, you know, he, at best, he's a decoy. And so I think that they can lock down Jamar Chase. Last week, I was on Cincinnati. Uh, I thought it was a good matchup. I thought that, the, you know, the, the, the Cardinals were being inflated a little bit um, uh, versus, uh, you know, perception and reality. They just did not do a good job defending Chase. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, the head coach for the Cardinals, admitted he made a mistake defensively. I don't think you'll see that with Pete Carroll. And you've got two lockdown corners now, potentially, uh, to throw at them. So, uh, you know, and Joe Burrows still isn't really moving. Uh, he looked better, but again, that's against a, a pass rush that is bottom five in the NFL and just a defense that doesn't have any talent. So, you know, that was kind of a get-right spot. Now you place a little bit better of a defense. you got Jamal Adams who can now pressure because you've got those corners that can lock down uh, on an island. And then I think the, the other side of the ball is really the issue. Cincinnati's defense is sneakily one of the worst in the NFL this year. They haven't really faced that many good offenses. And, you know, Seattle is playing. They're, they're humming along. The secondary for Cincinnati is not playing well, and they're banged up. Chidobia, Wuzier, um did not play last week. I'm not sure if he's going to play this week. Uh, otherwise, they don't really have that much out there uh, to defend these receivers for Seattle. And Cincinnati's run defense is, is one of the worst in the NFL. It's allowed the second most explosive plays uh, on the ground. And we know that, that Kenneth Walker, that's what he specializes in, is, is those big runs. So I just think that there's a good advantage here. I think you've got the better uh, offense right now with, with Seattle. I think you've got the, the better coaching staff. Um, and I just don't think there's enough separating these teams uh, where – um, you know, Cincinnati should be laying three. I just don't think that last week, just all of a sudden, that was the, you know, they're back. I just don't think we're there yet. And I don't think you can lay three um, against a Rams team that was worse than Seattle uh, just two weeks ago when, when you're Cincinnati. Uh, I don't think you can you can lay that same number here with Seattle, who's better than, than the Rams. So uh, I just think that the Seattle makes sense here. No, it's a, that's a great comparison, along with the one that you brought up with the Colts, even though, Burrow may be a little bit healthier. The line is pretty much identical, and Seattle is coming off a bye. Much better secondary than what the Rams have, and you could use the Eagles game last week as a prime example of that with Hurts able to dissect. Those corners for LA that were outperforming expectations, but you also have to take into account the schedule, as we've touched on throughout, and the Bengals, looking at their secondary in particular, you brought up with a Wuzier, Potentially going to be out for this game, something I've hammered home pretty much on every podcast that the Bengals were due for a lot of regression and something you brought up in your preseason guide, actually, when it came to Cincinnati getting a little bit fortunate. Quarterbacks they faced last year ranking 30th or below in EPA per dropback, like 45% of the time, and that was a heck of a metric when it came to the kind of positive fortune they got in terms of the opposing offenses and getting very lucky, whether it was just poor quarterback play or backup quarterbacks, and they lost Von Bell and Jesse Bates, one of the better safety tandems over the last few years. So I'm with you when it comes to the personnel matchups on both sides of the ball. And looking at an out West game now, Patriots at Raiders, with New England opening as a three and a half point dog, which is no surprise, I guess, with, Patriots undergoing back-to-back blowout losses and the Raiders getting the Monday Night Football victory and covering against the Packers. But the market has taken a little bit of interest in New England, and so have you. So why are you betting on a Belichick team that looks washed on both sides of the ball, but you also have to take into account that the Saints weren't able to move the ball that well with no Matthew Judon and no Christian Gonzalez for that Patriots defense last week. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you're never as bad. If, if you've been playing the NFL as long as I have, and I know you have, uh, you're never as bad as your, you know, your most recent game or even two games. Uh, and this is a matchup league. And, and I, I, I faded New England. You know, it was so funny. I was on Dallas. I thought it was a great matchup for them. I thought Mac Jones, he struggles against good pass defenses and good pass rushes and, I just thought it was a terrible matchup, and, and they kept taking money down to six points. I couldn't believe it. I, I, as soon as it dropped under seven, I hammered uh, Dallas there, and this is kind of the opposite of that. I just, you know, they face, look at the schedule they face, Miami, Dallas, Philly, 
the Saints are a top five defense. Like they have, they have gone up. Even the Jets defense, they have faced things just like in a murderer's row of either great offenses or great defenses. And now we get a, a Raiders team that is neither. <laughs> they haven't scored more than 18 points in any game this season. And that that's including facing the worst defense in the NFL in the Broncos. Um, they faced the Chargers. Obviously, that was with backup quarterback. But um, the Steelers, who, you know, you can move the ball on them. We saw C.J. Stroud move the ball on them. They couldn't get past 17 points against a, a Packers defense that was pretty mediocre last week. And and they got the benefit of a, a, an interception by Jordan Love in the red zone. So, you know, they, they had all the opportunities and they're just, you know, Jimmy G is just not that guy to, to really like the points here. Um, in my opinion, uh, you know, full field goal, or if you can get a three and a half, I, I don't think there's three and a half anymore, but you know, full three, uh, three points, I think is, is just too much. And, you know, I just, again, with this Raiders defense, this is the magic elixir for uh, Mac Jones and this offense that really hasn't been able to run the ball. Like for, I hate to be the established to run guy because I'm the opposite of that. But um, for a team like New England and with really no weapons on the outside that can separate, like that, this is the team that needs to run the ball to kind of keep, you know, keep Mac Jones kind of in line with kind of third and manageable or second and manageable or, you know, able to convert the short yardage situations, which they haven't been able to against some really good run defenses of late. You're going to be able to do that against this Raiders defense that is just bottom five to 10 in, in every category. So I think from a matchup standpoint, it, it makes sense. And, you know, uh, I, I, you know, this is something that I've consistently backed for a while. I just, these teams off of shutouts when they're playing um, and when they're underdogs in next week are historically just really good bets, no matter what, um, on top of the matchup. And so, you know, back since 2000, uh, in a situation like this, when you get shut out and you go, on, go play as an underdog the next week out of division, it's like a 65% cover rate. And it's just consistently been something that, you know, it keeps hitting. And, you know, you see the market has moved. They were, I think it was a pick them prior to the season, and now they're plus three. So clearly there's been a huge adjustment on New England, although we knew the New England schedule was the toughest in the NFL. It's one of the toughest we've seen in the last decade. I tweeted about this prior to the season. So it's not like this should be a surprise that they're not playing well against this this brutal schedule. Uh, now it eases up. And so, you know, I think our perception of the quality of these two teams is not reality. I mean, the, the, the Raiders are as bad as we thought they'd be, right? Like, they're, they're not good. Um, and New England is probably a little bit worse, but they're not three points worse than what we thought. So I, I just think that you can, you know, full field goal here, the, the Raiders can't score on anybody. Um, you know, the motivation is going to definitely be there with New England here. Um, the market, you know, uh, just again, the, the, the line move just um, nobody wants a piece of this Patriots team. And that's kind of when I want them. And I'll just take my chances that the familiarity with Jimmy G and this, and this New England coaching staff, like the, the defense knows how to defend uh, Jimmy and, and they know his weaknesses. So uh, Devontae Adams still has that bad shoulder. We saw he was affected uh, on Monday night. So it's all of those things. It's a short week for the Raiders. Like just everything points to me uh, on the side of the Patriots. And as long as Mac Jones doesn't, you know, throw another pick six. Uh, <laughs> if he does that, then all bets are off. But I'm assuming that the, that stuff is more random than anything. And, and he's facing, you know, you know, tough pressure um, and going up against good defenses. As long as he doesn't do that, then I think New England will be right there. Yeah. If Marcus Peters is going to keep playing 50 yards off the line of scrimmage, then <laughs> Mac Jones is probably, this is probably the least likely game for Jones to throw a pick six. And also it's, it's hard yes. to give, Belichick any sort of coaching edge anymore but how do you not with McDaniels oh, continuously making these horrific decisions man it's like I, I hate to use couch speak if you want to call it that with how many people tweeted saying I could do a better job than ex-coach in an ex-game but nobody kicks a field goal in that spot against the Packers right it, it's it's ridiculous. I even said it's like he's intentionally trying to. He just how does he make the wrong call every time? I mean, between that Steelers game where they they uh, uh, kicked the field goal and the, you know on fourth and two or whatever when when they were down uh, eight points, like just he just constantly makes the wrong decision. So yeah, there's definitely a, an in game edge. I think although Belichick doesn't do all the great greatest right. Um, he does, he's not the TV guy that we, we probably think of, but still I would take Bill over uh, over McDaniels right now. And one thing I forgot to mention, you talked about Peters playing off, like Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator for 
for the Raiders, that's what his his mo is. Like he he plays soft. He lets you run the ball. He does not want to get beat over the top, and that actually plays right into the hands of, of the Patriots. So the, the opposing teams have actually um, uh, run the ball at the the fifth highest rate over expected versus the Raiders because they let you run. They want you to run, and if they're going to let Mac Jones in this offense run the ball with Ramon J. Stevenson, okay, that's what we need. Uh, if you're a Patri- Patriots backer, I'm fine with that. Uh, so they'll get some soft looks, hopefully, and that will uh, will help this offense. So I think, like I said, all that kind of um, throw it in a pot and it comes up Patriots. <laughs> you know, hold your nose, but uh, Patriots are definitely the, the correct side, in my opinion. Here. Yeah, and it's you go back to that Monday Night Football game, too. Good point that you brought up with that Raiders run defense. A.J. Dillon, 3.8 yards per carry isn't great, but it's a heck of a lot better than the efficiency that he showed with Jones out from weeks two through four. So if Las Vegas is going to allow New England to run the ball and play off, that definitely benefits Jones and Ramadre Stevenson and even uh, an anemic Patriots offense at that under Bill O'Brien with him being back on this Patriots coaching staff. But a couple more games I want to touch on, Cleve, and thanks for the time as always. A bet that I made, so we're kind of going head-to-head, even though you bet this before it hit the key number of seven. Eagles lane seven at the Jets. I took the seven minus 110 with New York, regrettably, or hopefully not regrettably, but just in the sense that (laughs) catching seven with a healthier Jets secondary, assuming DJ Reed is back, gives you more cornerback depth, and one of the better cornerback duos, really, when it's Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, and also a Jets run defense that should be able to limit this Eagles offense when they're not humming, it's a much different look when Jalen Hurts is forced to kind of put the ball through the air more often than Brian Johnson and this Eagles offense really wants to, considering how run-centric they are. So what went into your Eagles-Jets handicap? Yeah, I mean, I should I should note, <laughs> I took minus six on Monday. So <laughs> this uh, I knew it would get to seven. That was like the clearest day to me. I couldn't believe it. I think it opened six and a half and went down to six. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so yeah, I liked it a lot more at six Went pretty heavy when it gets to seven, that's kind of, that's my stopping point. Um, so that was part of the reason I just knew the line would move up and it was really right after Elijah Vera Tucker was announced out. That was just a home run spot for me. It's already a big mismatch. You got a top five pass rush. You got Jalen Carter in there against the middle of that, uh, that weak Jets O-line. And now you lose your best offensive lineman in Tucker. Uh, and Dwayne Brown, the backup, um, is on IR. You're going to have to go to uh, Max Mitchell uh, to play right, and, and Beckton's going to be on your left side probably. So, you know, Max Mitchell is one of the worst uh, tackles in the NFL last year by, by PFF. So this is just a, a brutal matchup uh, along the you know, along the trenches. And we know Zach Wilson is not – even against the Broncos, he had a negative EPA. You know, yeah. His success rate was 43%. It's not like he was the reason that they, they moved the ball. It was all Brees Hall. And – Philly's got a top top five ten run defense, so I'm just not sure where uh, the Jets are going to be able to, to move the ball. It's supposed to be again another bad weather situation, so maybe you get the the Eagles play conservatively against a good defense, and it's a lower scoring game, and then that seven becomes a lot more uh, valuable. So you know, from that perspective, I can you know I can understand why why you'd want to go that route. I just think that whenever you get a, a game like this where the trenches are such a huge mismatch, there's just nothing you can do as a quarterback especially one that's Zach Wilson. So um, there's just nothing you can do. Like when you just have no ability to, to step up when you're constantly being harassed, like where's he going to go with the ball? So um, just to me, like unless you get a, a Brees Hall, uh, you know, long touchdown or two, it's, it's going to be really hard for them to score. So, you know, that's, that's essentially why I'm on the Eagles here. But again, seven was kind of the, 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 the stopping point. I wouldn't go, uh, I wouldn't go anything uh, more than that. So um, my minus six feels a lot better. Makes a ton of sense. And I know a lot of people have, or at least on gambling X have Eagles teasers too. Rightfully so. One other game I want to hit on that I know you don't have a bet on, but you follow the Browns so closely for those of our listeners and viewers that don't follow you on Twitter at Cleve T-A-C-L-E-V-T-A. Browns are now getting seven against the Niners. And after the San Francisco trouncing of Dallas on Sunday night football, you immediately, or at least I look towards Cleveland and with the hope that maybe Deshaun Watson's shoulder wasn't going to be an issue. It continues to be, who knows how serious it actually is. PJ Walker 
stepping in. It's the lowest total of the week, rightfully so, after what we saw when it was Dorian Thompson Robinson against the Ravens, total of 37, 37 and a half, the best team in the NFL. What do you make of A, the line? And also, I'm curious how you grade Brock Purdy, who really hasn't faced any negative variance despite a pretty or at least a higher turnover worthy throw rate than I think the numbers on the surface suggest. Yeah, I'm not getting into the uh, the rankings wars <laughs> you were seeing on Twitter. I mean, I'm just like, to me, it's it's so situational. Um, and look, the guy's he's put in a great spot, but he's also making all the right decisions and all the right throws. Yeah, he gets away with some interceptions from time to time. But so does everybody. I'm not really going to you know ding him too much. He's doing everything you want from a quarterback. So as long as he continues to do that, like we've seen guys, Trey Lance couldn't do it, right? He, he failed miserably. Um, we've seen guys like C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins have like moments, but they couldn't sustain it more than a game or two. And so it's, you know, and he's doing everything that, you know, what Jimmy G did and better. So, look, even if you think he's just from a talent perspective, just a middle of the road starting quarterback, like he's doing everything you want in that system. And so I'm not going to ping him too much for that. I mean, otherwise, like when this I don't think Watts is going to play. Uh, I don't know when we're, you know, this this um, I'm, I don't think he's practicing here today on Thursday. Um, and I don't think he's going to play. I think it's going to be P.J. Walker. And this line is already reflecting that it's a high probability that it's going to be P.J. Walker. I think if Watson played, if we knew he was going to play, I think this line probably stops at around five. Yeah. Um, that would be my guess. And without him, once he's officially announced out, I think this gets to eight is my guess. Um, uh, so I think everyone who, who suspected or who wanted a piece of the, the Niners have already gotten them. And then now it's just, you know, maybe get some public action, one-way public action to get it to eight. Eventually, um, you know, there'll be guys that either want to middle this game or um, we'll just think the, the number's too high, especially with a great Browns defense like this. Like, you know, th- th- at some point, the points really matter uh, in a low-scoring game. So I think eight is probably the, the stopping point, if I had to guess. But I just think that it's going to be interesting to see Purdy. He's never really played in tough weather that I can recall. And it's expected to be really windy here uh, on the lake and potential for rain. So that could be one thing to keep an eye on. And, you know, this defense is the, it could be the best in the NFL at this point, um, this, this Browns defense. And, you know, Jim Schwartz has had some success against Kyle Shanahan teams and offenses in the past. I saw something where Kyle Shanahan is like one and eight against the spread against Jim Schwartz defenses. So, um, you know, pretty interesting stuff. So for whatever it's worth, he, he is able to generate pressure and, you know, if the weather's bad, I wonder how, you know, how Purdy's going to be affected. So I'm curious to see what he does in this game, you know, outside of being a Browns fan. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, how he's going to react. So it'll be, it'll be, it's a, it's definitely a test. If, if Purdy can really um, generate good offense and win with margin against this defense in these conditions, I'm really going to hand it to him. Like he's, he's crossed every, he's checked every box and he's crossed every uh, test so far uh, after you include that Dallas game. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see. I don't know with the Browns with PJ Walker and Jerome Ford at running back. Like I just don't know. Even Joel Batonio, their starting guard, their All Pro guard, hasn't practiced yet. I don't know if he'll play. It's just a brutal, brutal matchup. Like this could be a, you know, a, a seventeen to six game when it's all said and done. I don't want any piece of it either way. I'm just gonna pray that they keep it competitive and, and they don't lose the locker room here. But uh, but that's that'd be my guess. <laughs> and. Going back to your Shanahan Schwartz point, small, very, very small sample size. But as the Falcons offensive coordinator in 2016, when Shanahan was in Atlanta, the Falcons averaged 33.9 points per game through the first nine games of the season. And then they played the Eagles and Schwartz, who was then the Philly defensive coordinator. And Atlanta put up just 15 points. And it was the only time that season that the Falcons didn't score at least 23 points. And that was when Matt Ryan was in his prime. And I mean, it's not a one game sample size when you think about how much Schwartz has really elevated this Browns defense. Yes. They've added personnel up front that have bolstered their pass rush. Assuming Garrett is healthy. I think Purdy will have more heat on him in the backfield than what we saw in that Cowboys matchup, which to me was a little bit surprising. And also this Brown secondary is one of the better units in the NFL. And yes, the final score wasn't really indicative of the Browns defense having success against the Ravens, but you keep in mind the Thompson Robinson turnover that set up Baltimore in a goal to go situation. So I'm with you, man. I'm very high in Cleveland's defense. I know Mo 
who is still absent in this portion of the podcast, was very upset considering he had, I think, Browns to some sort of futures bet correlated with the Browns allowing the fewest points per game this season and the Steelers result in week two where their defense scored points. So that obviously negates his bet, even though the Browns didn't allow the Browns defense didn't allow the actual points in that situation. He was very high and then some on Cleveland's defense going into the year. So if Watson was playing and the shoulder injury was projected to be a little bit better, I think I would have a bet on the Browns. But even if P.J. Walker performs a little bit better than Thompson Robinson, I don't see how you could bet Cleveland in this game. Yeah, it's one of those where you either got San Francisco early at a great number or you just kind of sit it out, in my opinion. Like, there's just no way you can really feel comfortable. Even if Purdy struggles, like the defense might score. They may get turnovers in the red, you know, in the territory and get short fields. So it's, there's just too many uh, unknowns at this point. So uh, now look, if it gets to 10 or something insane like that, then okay, maybe I'll take a look at the Browns. I don't think it'll get there, but you know, that that's when I would, I would really look at a Browns bet, even with PJ Walker, but uh, otherwise it just kind of, you know, sit it out. He is Cleve TA. You can follow him on Twitter at Cleve TA. Find all of his betting breakdowns over at cleveanalytics.com. Thanks so much for joining the Beat the Closing Number podcast today, Cleve. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. So for Mo, who is absent, unfortunately, for the back half of this podcast, you heard his bets in the first half of Beat the Closing Number, and you heard what I got going on as well for the NFL Week 6 card. So for Cleve and for Mo. And like I mentioned earlier, if you're planning on betting any of the NFL Week 6 action, first-time users with BetMGM Sportsbook can use bonus code The Lines to get up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your first bet loses with BetMGM. And remember, you can also sign up for free NFL contests with free prizes over at play.thelines.com. So for Mo, for Cleve, and for myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody. 